Welcome, good people of the church. Glad you're here. Thank you for giving me an opportunity to speak to you. Thanks for Brian and Sarah and all they do. And I just pray that they're getting the relaxation that they need. Um, it's tough speaking to the lives of broken people every day. Um, that's what we are. And Brian's our leader, and he follows Christ, and we follow him. Amen? Um, we're going to take a little detour. Um, we've been talking about the joy ride through Philippians, but we're going to take a little detour, and I hope that's okay, because we're going to talk about Jesus. Is it okay that we talk about Jesus? It better be okay that we talk about Jesus. Um, listen, the main idea of this sermon today is that submission is leadership. If you can submit and you can become a servant, you can lead. But you can't lead without submission. And you can't lead if you don't have a servant's heart. The two don't work together. And it's a concept that's foreign to our society and most societies in general. We're going to be, uh, today we're going to go through chapter 50. And I want you to open your Bibles. I know it's hard for you Christians to remember to bring your Bibles to church, but let's go ahead and open them today. I want to hear the pages turning. We're going to go to Isaiah 50. And you're thinking, we're going to talk about Jesus and we're going to Old Testament? Yeah, we're going to talk about Jesus. He was there. He's in there. He's from the beginning to the end. So we're going to talk about Jesus. Let's go in. I'm going to go ahead and read this to you. Your bulletin says we're just going to go 4 to 10, but actually we're going, to, we're going to go through the entire chapter. So I'm going to read this to you first, and then we'll break it down. Thus says the Lord, where's the certificate of divorce by which I have sent your mother away? Or to whom of my creditors did I sell you? Behold, you were sold for your iniquities, and for your transgressions your mother was sent away. Why was there no man when I came? When I called, why was there none to answer? Is my hand so short that it cannot ransom? Or have I no power to deliver? Behold, I dry up the sea with my rebuke. I make the rivers a wilderness. Their fish stink for lack of water and die of thirst. I clothe the heavens with blackness and make sackcloth their covering. The Lord God has given me the tongue of disciples that I may know how to sustain the weary one with a word. He wakens me morning by morning. He wakens my ear to listen as a disciple. The Lord God has opened my ear and I was not disobedient and nor did I turn back. I gave my back to those who strike me, and my cheeks to those who pluck out the beard. I did not cover my face from humiliation and spitting, for the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I am not disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint, and I know that I will not be ashamed. Because he who vindicates me is near, who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who has a case against me? Let him draw near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who is he who condemns me? Behold, they will all wear out like a garment, and the moth will eat them up. 
Who is among you that fears the Lord, that obeys the voice of his servant, that walks in darkness and has no light? Let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Behold, all you who kindle a fire, who encircle yourselves with firebrands, walk in the light of your fire, and among the brands you have set ablaze. This you will have from my hand. You will lie down in torment. Um, I know this is hard to believe, but years ago, I, I used to kind of be like a little bit of a, an important person. I, I had this job where uh, I worked in this job for 15 years. It was a collection agency. And, and I started off as just your everyday run-of-the-mill collector. And my friend, who I thought was going to be here, unfortunately, he's not here. He got me the job, and he said, Darren, you're not going to last a week. You, you just can't. You're not that kind of person. You're not going to be able to collect money from people. You can't do it. It's not in you. And I took that as a challenge, and, and I ended up staying there for 15 years, and I, and I, by God's grace, I became the vice president of that company, and um, I had to do a lot of submitting. I had to listen to the people that had been there before me, and I had to pay attention to the wise old guys that had been there for 30 years. I had to listen. I had to actually humble myself This guy who was young and off the street thought he knew everything. I had to humble myself. And I had to listen to other people, people that had been there longer than me. Wise people like those that are sitting in this crowd, the older generation, right? I had to listen to them, pay attention to them. But I was able to do it. I swallowed my pride. I listened and I learned. And through that, God kept giving me another position, another rank, and he moved me up. But it was only because I was willing to work hard at it. It was only because I was willing to to go the extra mile, to do the things other people didn't want to do. I even filed files away after work on my own time. I did things like that. So it was through submission and a servant's heart that God put me in a higher position of leadership. It wasn't because of my own power. It was because I was willing to put myself down so that he could lift me up. Submission is leadership. Submission and servanthood is leadership. If you cannot have leadership, if you don't have those sorts of things. We're in this dog-eat-dog world, this, this world where everybody's out to get something from you or you, or I need your time, or I need to step up. I need to prove I'm better than you, this dog-eat-dog world. Christ was the polar opposite of that. He served. He humbled himself. Isaiah 50 was written 700 to 800 years before Christ walked the world, before he came here um, as a human and walked in the world. We should pay attention to that, that this prophecy that Isaiah was writing to the divided kingdom actually came true. We should have faith in that. We should be able to see, look back at the Old Testament and say, look at this. this. This is happening. It happened. The prophecy is true. That should build our faith, right? Instead, the world wants to beat it down and tell us what a bunch of fools we are for listening to an ancient book that doesn't apply to these world today. There was a lot of idolatry and ritualism going on in the church at that time. God's people had basically departed from from him, and they had um, pushed aside his ways, and they were into sin so deeply that there was this kind of court happening in heaven. 
Okay, you guys need to read Isaiah. It is a bizarre book. I mean, it is bizarre, but it's super cool. God's holding a type of court up in heaven, right? And the, the Jews are blaming God, and they're telling God that he's abandoned them. You've divorced me. You've broken your covenant with us. You are no longer our God. So here's what God has to say. We're going to go to verse number one. Where is the certificate of divorce by which I have sent your mother away? Or to whom of my creditors did I sell you? Behold, you were sold for your iniquities, and for your transgressions your mother was sent away. God said to them, listen, I didn't break a covenant with you. I don't break covenants. I don't divorce my people. You walked away from me. You're in transgression and you're in sin because you walked away from me, not because I walked away from you. God does not break covenants, people. And he didn't break a covenant with with the Jews and he's not going to break a covenant with you. It's you and I that divorce him on a regular basis. Listen to what it says. Behold, you were sold for your iniquities and for your transgressions your mother was sent away. It's your fault, Israel. It's your fault. These things you have. They chose sin over God. We do it all the time, right? We choose sin over God. And then when we want to blame him later on because, oh, my life is not any, I've got so much stuff in my life. It's, life is bad. Why is God allowing me to suffer? What? No. You put yourself in a suffering situation. I love you guys. And I need to tell you that. So we're going to talk about some things that hurt. But the truth is love. And so sometimes we got to hear the truth. Can you imagine a creator or God who doesn't feel anything when you choose sin over him? He loves you so much that it hurts him. It hurts him deeply. why Why does God have to seek after us so fervently when he's provided you with everything you have in this life? Why does he have to seek after you? Why are we not seeking after him? Why are we not showing him love? Where is it in our hearts? Where is Christ in our hearts that he has to seek, that we have to go wrap ourselves in fig leaves and hide from him? Why does he have to seek after us? Let's go to verse 2. Why was there no man when I came, when I called? Why was there none to answer? Is my hand so short that it cannot ransom? Or have I no power to deliver? Behold, I dry up the sea with my rebuke. I make the rivers a wilderness. Their fish stink for lack of water and die of thirst. God's saying, Where was this man that was condemning me, that was claiming that I divorced and broke a covenant? Where is he now? Why doesn't he have the nerve to come before me, stand before me? Am I not able to to help you? Am I not able to deliver you? Am I not capable of that? Are my hands so short that I can't reach out and grab you wherever you are? Is that the God you think I am? 
He can make the rivers dry up. He can dry up the sea. He can do anything. He's capable of doing anything for each and every one of us. Listen to what he says in verse 3. Before we get there, I want you to think about what kind of a God would God be like if he was apathetic, if he didn't care what you did, if he just let you do whatever you want, and he didn't care. He didn't mourn you at all. What kind of a God would that be? Would that be a loving God? Verse 3, he says, I close the heavens with blackness and make sackcloth their covering. What is he saying here? He's mourning them. He's mourning what they've done. He, it's hurting him to see them choose sin over him. It, it mourns him. And he's, he's blackened the sky, the heavens. He's blackened the heavens. Now, this is a direct point towards Christ right here. He's introducing Christ right here. Remember when Christ died on the cross? And for three hours at noon, the sky went dark. God is saying, let me introduce you to my son. And from verse 4 to 9, Jesus is talking to us. So it's been God, it's been God the Father. And now he says, oh, I divorced you. Guess what? Here is my son. By the way, here, we're going to have an eclipse here in a few days. Let's be thinking about that. Instead of the science behind it, let's be thinking about God. Maybe that's God's reminder to us. Jesus says in verse 4, The Lord God has given me the tongue of disciples that I might know how to sustain the weary one with the word. He wakens me morning by morning. He wakens my ear to listen as a disciple. That's how you have a relationship with God. He's saying, the Lord God has given me the tongue of disciples, that I am his student. I am the father's student. I have placed myself in the role of a student under the father. And I listen to him. And he wakes me up every morning. He wakes me up. And he wakes you up every morning. Are you listening? Are you hearing him? Are you taking the time to just listen? He wakes you up every day. And with his hand, he takes the sun and pushes it up into the sky every day for you. He makes the trees grow from the earth for you. It's not for him. He makes the flowers bloom in the spring for you because he loves you. This is yours. It's a gift from him to you, to me. And we walk about forgetting what's going on because I got to go to work. I've got to get to work. I've got to get to work. Oh, and I got that thing. I don't know what the sky looks like today. I didn't see the sunset yesterday either. I don't have time for that. Disobedience comes from the human race. It doesn't come from any part of nature. The sun rises every day at his command without any disobedience. Disobedience comes from man, comes from us, comes from our fallen nature. 
Listen to what he says in verse 5. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not disobedient, nor did I turn my back. Guys, is anybody else here guilty of not listening to their wife? You're all a bunch of liars, and you need to repent. Pat and I were talking just last week about the difference between listening and hearing, and um, I was thinking about that. My wife, she's always complaining to me, and rightfully so, because I can tune out anything. I can focus so intently on one thing that I don't hear her speaking, and, and she's a beautiful person, and the words that she says are important, and I need to be better at that, Roby. <laughs> uh, I need to get better at that. But I don't listen to her all the time. And it's a shame. And we don't listen to our Father all the time. And it's a shame. But what's Christ's example? He said, the Lord God has opened my ear. And I was not disobedient. And I didn't turn it back. I want to talk about a bond slave. Jesus Christ placed himself, we've said it before, below the Father. He has become a bond slave to the Father. And what that means is, and I'm going to explain it to you. We're going to read and jump to Exodus 21, 5 through 6. You don't have to do that because I know it's going to take you a little bit of time, but this is going to explain to you what a bond slave is. The slave had a certain period of time, I believe it was six years, where, where they had to serve their master. And after that six-year period of time, they could make a choice as to whether or not they were going to serve their master, right? Here's what it says, Exodus 21, 5 through 6. But if the slave plainly said, I love my master, my wife and my children. I will not go out as a free man. Then his master shall bring him to God. And then they shall bring him to the door or the doorpost. And what they would do is hammer an, something into his ear, into the doorpost. And that was, this, that was represent the fact that he was a willing slave. From there on out, the rest of his life, he was willing slave to his master. That's the picture of Christ. Is anybody here a voluntary slave to anybody else? Are you a voluntary slave to anyone? Are you a voluntary slave to your wife, to your spouse, to, to anybody? Have you placed yourself in that role? Have you said, I'm going to serve this person? I need to serve this person. Who have we submitted to? Let's get back on the joy ride to Philippians for a second in honor of our pastor, Brian. Philippians 2, verses 5 through 7 read, Have this attitude in yourselves, which also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Jesus voluntarily gave himself to you and I and to the Father. Are you having trouble submitting? Do you have a difficult time submitting to God? I, I do. 
Do you have a difficult time submitting to your boss or your spouse or your pastor? Do you have a difficult time placing yourself in this servant's role under somebody? Jesus did not have a problem with that at all. This is what Christ's submission looked like. Let's go to verse 6. I gave my back to those who strike me. I gave my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. I did not cover my face from humiliation and spitting. Jesus volunteered his back. He didn't have to do it. He gave his back as he laid across that stump and they took the cat of nine tails and whipped him and ripped his flesh. He did that voluntarily. We forget this. It's so easy for us to Christians to know the story of Christ. But have you fallen out of love with it? He gave his cheeks to those who plucked out his beard. We don't read about this in the Gospels, but we know it's true because Isaiah is telling us right here that it happened. They would go up and grab handfuls of his beard and yank it out. And yet, he allowed them to spit on him. He allowed them to humiliate him because he could have stopped it at any time had he wanted to. But... He was focused on you, and he was focused on me. What have you volunteered to do is the question I want to ask you guys, the challenge that I have for you. What have you volunteered to do for your Lord? Do you have a problem coming to church and, and taking out the trash? Is that below you? Do you have a problem coming to the church and grabbing the vacuum cleaner? Is that below you? Do you have a problem doing anything? Is there something that is below you? Because there was nothing that was below Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. Nothing. He could handle spit in his face. I can't do that. Why was he able to endure all this humiliation and suffering? The God who created all of you, the entire universe, he had everything in the palm of his hand, he could move mountains. Why was he able to endure it? Because verse 7 says, For the Lord God helps me, therefore I am not disgraced, therefore I have set my face like flint, and I know that I will not be ashamed. He's able to do what he did because he submitted to the Father and he trusted the Father and he had faith in the Father. And so he set his face like flint. He focused on the cross and never forgot why he was here. He focused on that and he knew from day one that he was going to suffer. He knew he was going to get whipped. He is omniscient. He knows everything. He knew it all was going to happen, and yet he walked straight into it. Charles Haddon Spurgeon says, 
that our Lord's resolve to go to the cross was tested by offers from this world, from temptation. That our Lord's resolve to go to the cross was tested by persuasions from his friends, from these dense disciples that he walked with, right? That our Lord's resolve to go to the cross was tested by unworthiness of his clients. We, we didn't deserve what he gave us. If we deserved, we deserve, if we got what we deserve, folks, um, I don't think any of us would like the story. The Lord's resolve to go to the cross was tested by the bitterness of the first few drops suffering at Gethsemane from all the suffering he had to endure. He could have backed out at any time if he wanted to. He was taunted and mocked, and he could have backed out at any time. And he knew that the cross was there, and he kept walking towards the cross. How does he withstand all these temptations? Verse 8 says, He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up to each other. Who has a case against me? Let him draw near to me. Come on. You think I'm afraid of you? Come on. Come near to me. I am God. I am Lord God, Jesus Christ. Contend with me. Come on. This is not some wimpy modern day Jesus with blonde hair, blue eyes, and soft hands. There's no such thing as a wimpy Jesus. He didn't exist. He was a strong man. And you can have a balance between loving, kindness, gentleness, and still be strong at the same time. He didn't back down from anything. He was not some wimpy little Jesus like our society wants to portray him. He was a man of all men. Verse 9 says, Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who is he who condemns me? Behold, they will all wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. Why is it Jesus can stay so strong in his resolve towards the cross? Because he knows the Father is there to help him. He has faith that the Father is going to hold him up and give him strength. He is eternally with the Father, and those who reject him are eternally against the Father. The moth will eat them up. That's the hard truth of the gospel, guys. Verse 10 says, Who is among you that fears the Lord, that obeys the voice of his servant, that walks in darkness and has no light? Let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Jesus tells his people to trust God and obey him and to walk in his light. Sometimes um, we don't trust God, even as Christians. We just simply don't trust him sometimes. We don't trust him to protect our future or protect our assets or protect our house or our family. We just, because we're weak, we're humans. That's who we are. All of us are this way. When we're not trusting him, who are we trusting? In those moments, who do we trust? We trust ourselves. Maybe we trust in our, our, our bank account because we know that's always there. That safety net's always there. 
we got that. We can always go to there and maybe that'll save us, right? And so we create these idols the same way the Jews did. We create these little idols, these little protections for us, these things that we think are going to help us. We, too, create idols. Sometimes it's another human being. We listen so intently and so closely to their words, and we, and we know that they've experienced those things, and that's great to seek out advice from other people. But don't put that person in the place of your Lord God, Jesus Christ. Do not let him stand between you and your God, because that's where the relationship is. It's between you and your God. And if that person's following Christ, go ahead and follow along with them. Because you're going in the right direction. But make sure that you're always looking toward your Savior and your Lord. Let's go to verse 11. Behold all you who kindle a fire, who encircle yourselves with firebrands. Walk in the light of your fire. And among you the brands you have set ablaze. This you will have from my hand. You will lie down in torment. Uh Uh-oh, that doesn't sound very pretty. Nobody likes that, do we? We don't like to know that there's, there's another part of the equation here. If we choose sin over God, there are consequences. We have to deal with those consequences. And you can't, it's hard to get blessings reaped upon you. And it's hard to have this feeling of joy in your heart if you're out there seeking your own devices and your own schemes because you're not in line with God once for your life. We need to trust in Him, not in our own devices, or we might live in torment. I know for a fact that's true. In my own personal life, 28 years of drug and alcohol addiction led me away from my God the same way the Israelites did. I walked away from him and my life was horrible and I complained to God the whole time that it was his fault, that he's making me suffer and I deserve better than that. And I blamed him for it. It's a lie. Last week after church, came home. I love my wife. She has these cute little idiosyncrasies that are just, that are her. And I come home, and I get to the back door because we drove in separate cars. And the back door's locked. Only it wasn't a problem getting in because the keys are still in the door. (laughs) They're right there for me to reach Just unlock the door and walk right in, right? Any thief or murderer or, you know, security system doesn't do a whole lot of good when you got the key in the door, right? (laughs) Oh, she's a beautiful mess, but she's mine, so stay away from her. Sometimes when we walk away from our Lord... All we're doing is leaving the key in the door for any thief or murderer to come along and unlock that door to your heart. We are allowing sin into our lives. We're allowing the devil's direct route into our hearts and to lead us astray. That key belongs to Jesus Christ. 
And he's the only one who should have a key to your heart. And we can't be careless. I know we are. I know we all are sinners. We all have our weaknesses, but we have to protect against that. We can't be leaving the key out there just for any Joe Blow to come walking into our lives. I love Christians, but I respect followers of Christ. There are so many people out there that say I'm a Christian. Doesn't look like it at all. No wonder why we're having a hard time, people, reaching out to the lost, because our churches look the same as the, as the people that are out there in the world. Nobody wants to hang out with you because they don't see Jesus Christ in your life. You who call yourself a Christian. It's a big difference between being a Christian and following Christ. That means you're walking in the same direction as he is. Jesus washed the feet of his disciples. Jesus serves you and I, the lowly sinners. He wants the best for you. He knows that life is painful. He endured way more than you and I will ever endure. We got to make good decisions. We got to be praying about our decisions. Let's start by doing the small things, the little tiny things that are below you. Let's do those first. And let's worry about how he's going to turn us into a leader. You're never going to be that leader if you're not doing the small things. I'm asking everybody in this church, every single person in this church, to start participating in something. Do something for God. After all, what has he done for you? I'm just asking you to do something. Serve him and serve others. We can't put the cart before the horse. Remember this, when we leave the keys of sin in our lives, it's easy for the enemy to come in and open up and distract us from our calling. It's so easy for it to happen. We need to set our face like flint towards the cross because that is the most important thing. Is Jesus your Savior or is Jesus your Lord? Because there's a very distinct difference between the two. Because some people just want to pass to get to heaven and other people want to pass through the dirt and the mire and the muck along with him on the way towards heaven. There's a big difference. Jesus served the Father. Jesus served you and I. Serve him and serve mankind. If you're following him, you will be leading another. Thank you very much. I'm going to ask the um, band to come forward. As they come forward and pray, I want you to be thinking about where you are with respect to your life with Christ. Are you following him? Is he your savior? Is he your Lord? If you don't know who he is, I want to ask Chris Seriotis, please come forward. I want to ask David, please come forward. 
And I want to ask Lauren to please come forward. And you guys stand over here. If anybody wants to pray about anything, whether it's, I don't know who Jesus is. I want to know who Jesus is. Tell me about him. Come pray with one of these guys. If you want to talk to me afterwards, we can talk afterwards. Let's do just that. There's no pressure on anybody. But if you have any questions in your mind about anything, your relationship with Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior, please come forward.